Hey, let's go to an easy passage of Scripture on Mother's Day 2022. Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. Probably one of the most famous passages of Scripture when it comes to womanhood. And basically, this morning I thought as we prepare our hearts to have a baby dedication, which I think is so beautiful to do on Mother's Day, we would look at a picture of biblical godliness. And I say that because, and using uh, Proverbs 31, because she is called the virtuous woman or the excellent woman or the most honorable woman. And many of us know it's here and many of us read it, but I also think it's a source of a lot of confusion. I think a lot of people think, especially ladies, who in the world could live up to this? And that would be a fair question. One of the ways I think it's unfair, though, is the sense that we often don't realize how our Bible in English is put together a little bit different in the Hebrew. And maybe this would save us a lot. I remember growing up and reading this. I told you my father taught me that if I read a proverb a day and five psalms a day, I would read through proverbs and psalms every month. And I would always remember every month that had a 31 in it because I'd always come to this one. And I would read this. And I would inevitably end up talking to my dad or to my mom about this honorable woman, this woman who fears the Lord. And I'll be honest, the older I got, the more I would say, this person doesn't exist. And to the point where even my mother once said to me, no, Stephen, she doesn't. (laughs) And yet, what I want you to realize is when we look at a picture of biblical godliness, I want you to look no further than a woman named Ruth. In our English Bible, Ruth is set way back, but in a Hebrew Bible, it actually goes Proverbs, Ruth, Song of Solomon. In other words, the writers of the Hebrew Bible wanted you to know, after they gave you this virtuous woman, and you wanted to look at a human example of what this godly, biblical woman looked like, you look no further than Exhibit A, which would be Ruth. By the way, a Gentile pagan woman, a woman with a sordid past. A woman with a dead husband. A woman with an ashamed mother-in-law. If you were going to pick the virtuous woman out of all the female heroines of Scripture, many of us wouldn't go to Ruth. We might go to Mary. But even Mary, if you actually look at her life, you'd be hard-pressed. And so I hope this gives you hope this morning. You know, a few years ago, we had a pastor visiting Um, his name's Pastor Paul Carter, and uh, he wanted to go around Signal Hill, and we did the walk around Signal Hill, and we came to the end of it, and many of you know, there's a guy there that's got a home, and he's got a sign on it. In fact, I have a picture with every one of my children pointing at the sign, and the sign says this, don't confuse education with common sense. And I think this is the problem we have when we come to special events like Mother's Day or Father's Day, and we look to a passage like Proverbs chapter 31, and we think, what is this? When I was growing up, my dad used to tell me that wisdom is the right use of knowledge. And actually, he'd be right, because Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, explains that. But the greatest challenge with Proverbs, and especially with Proverbs 31, is we often struggle with applying the axioms of this book of wisdom with our lives as we live it out day to day. And what's worse is all too often, Proverbs 31 has been used, and I will admit this to you, to make women feel inadequate, that they don't measure up, 
even hopeless or helpless. And I think that's such a tragedy considering that so much of the world today with the magazines and movies and television shows and the way it's done, I feel bad because I don't think women can keep up with the demands of the culture and how much more tragic than to come to church and have a passage of God's word used to actually make his daughters feel inadequate or hopeless or helpless. Because often, as I said, at face value, you can read this and go, who can live up to this perfect and impossible standard? Men are often told to find this perfect woman, and if you do, marry her. Added to that faulty interpretation is a culture that screams, don't you dare say that God has any type of standard or teaching on how his daughter should reflect him in our world. So we have these two extremes. There's either this extreme Stepford wife, Betty Crocker version of womanhood, or there's this other extreme, which is there are no standards. Let a woman be whatever she wants to be. Her truth is as she defines it. And I think one of the best things we can do with a passage like this is to understand something from the start. God is actually laying out how we should see wisdom applied. That's what Proverbs 31 is all about. And then we look to God's word for an example. And that's why I say to you, I want you to think about Ruth. Because throughout this sermon, I'm going to refer to her because I think she's exemplified in the thing said in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 to 31. Just like elders, pastors, are called to exemplify certain standards in Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, I'll be honest. I've never met a pastor in my entire life who claims to be perfect or even close, for that matter, to the standards laid out in Titus 1 or 1 Timothy 3. Rather, I've met many, many a pastor, including myself, the feel the weight and calling to pursue Christ with all my heart and to lean into Him and the gospel to do so. That really, these are standards that I'm supposed to exemplify what it means to pursue Christ, who in turn gives us wisdom and strengths to be godly. And also, by the way, just so you know, the standards for elders in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, except for that one that says, apt to teach, every characteristic of godliness that is listed in those two chapters are also listed elsewhere in the Bible for every Christian to pursue. So it doesn't matter who you are today as a woman, single, married, mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, doesn't matter where you're at in the age spectrum, every one of you is called to pursue the picture of godliness in Proverbs 31, but none of you is called to feel burdened down by it. That's why Bruce Walkie in his commentary on Proverbs 31 summarizes his whole passage like this. This valiant wife, who has been canonized as a role model for all of Israel for all of time. Wise daughters aspire to be like her. Wise men will seek to marry her. And all wise people aim to incarnate the wisdom she embodies. Each in his own sphere of activity. One should avoid emphasizing one of these applications at the expense of another. Forgetting that by nature, proverbial material sets forth exemplars, asking audiences to make appropriate application to your own life. So when you read this passage, you're supposed to take it and apply it in your life. And that's what I want to do. On Mother's Day of 2022, I'd like us to answer the question that needs answering. 
that every woman, every wife, every mom, every man, every husband, indeed every dad who is a God-centered dad, we all want a God-centered definition of what it means to be godly. I want to give you all something to pray about, me included. I want to give you all something to talk about and leave and go to your homes or your restaurants. And when you have your devotions tonight or tomorrow morning, I want you to ponder the words that you are about to hear. Because without a doubt, Proverbs chapter 31 verses 10 to 31 are verses aimed at the descriptions of a godly woman. And in context, a young man is actually being taught what type of woman to look for. But I still agree with Bruce Rocky. I think there's so much more here. Because every single church is made up of many different generations. And according to Titus chapter 2, you need to not only know what a godly woman or mother is, but you need to live it and teach it to the next generation. Paul taught Titus to teach the older women of his church. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so to train the young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure, working at home and kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Now that's the word of God and I believe it's as relevant in 2022 as it was in A.D. 32. Young ladies, both here and online, I invite you to evaluate your life, to be honest for a few moments this morning and say, who are you and what or do you want to become? How do you think of womanhood? What are your thoughts about being a wife? What are your thoughts on motherhood? Are they in terms of the culture with the great debate going on in the United States with Roe versus Wade and all of the screaming and tension and hatred? Or will you and I look to the Bible and let the Bible, not television or culture, actually form our opinions? And men and fathers, I need you today. I need you today to listen closely. You are required by God to not only look out for, but to actually help your wife be godly, to help your daughters be godly. But more than that, men and husbands and dads are required to pray and lead your families in godliness. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul told the husbands, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And so to the younger men here this morning, or the newly married men, or the men about to be, or new fathers, or single hoping one day to be married, I want you to listen very carefully. Because Proverbs chapter 31 in this text is meant to be a blueprint of what this man here is supposed to look for when asking God for a woman to marry. He's not supposed to be looking, as we've heard flippantly, a smoking hot woman. You can laugh and and, and all that, you know, and I get it, but you don't understand the subtlety of how we're objectifying women when we do these things. But we're not only to look for this as men. As men in a modern church 
We should honor godliness. We should protect godliness. We should appreciate godliness and nurture godliness. And this is what we include this morning. When we come to the end, my prayer and aim is that all here will leave with something to ponder. That every one of you will leave with something to go to God about. Something to apply. My desire for myself and this congregation is that at the end of this, we want to reflect the character and teaching of Jesus Christ, which includes the family. This includes the role of men and women, the role of wives and husbands, and the roles of moms and dads. So, at the need of not taking anything for granted, let's go to Proverbs chapter 31, and let me read our passage for us this morning. And I just want to give you some basic principles of godliness, but we're going to see it in the life of Ruth, because she's your great example. And I would encourage you, men and women here, whenever you read through the book of Proverbs and you finish reading Proverbs 31 and you're like, oh my, then turn back and read through the four chapters of Ruth and realize that's your example. That's your example. So here's the word of God this morning. The writer says, an excellent wife Who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar, and she arises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field, and then she buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength, makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the staff, and her hands hold to the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates and when he sits among the elders of the land and she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you, you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. As we go through this, number one, if you're taking some notes, men and women, I want to encourage you to do that. I just want to give you some principles for a godly woman. Number one, a godly woman is devoted to her family. Number one, on this Mother's Day of 2022, a godly woman is devoted to her family. And you found that in verses 11 and verse 12 and verse 23. But the great illustration, as I said, is look no further than Ruth. 
In the first chapter of Ruth, verses 15 to 18, after her husband has died, her sister-in-law's husband has died, her father-in-law has died, Naomi, her mother-in-law, is going, and listen to what it says. And she said, Naomi says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return to your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go... I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be married. And may the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death part me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was, Ruth, was determined to go with her, she said no more. Here was a woman who had nothing left. It would have been the easiest thing her mother not actually said. Go back to your family. Start all over. Don't come with me. But no, this woman was dedicated, devoted to her family. Even when the going wasn't right. So, ladies, see this in, in Ruth. This wasn't Ruth being superhuman. This was Ruth just being committed to her family. And so on this Mother's Day, I want to ask you, as ladies, as moms, are you devoted to your family? In the Proverbs, Proverbs 31, a godly woman is said to be devoted to every member of her family, but notice her priority is on her husband. Her priority is on her husband. Verse 11, look at it. Proverbs 31, verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Verse 12, she does him, her husband, good and not harm all the days of her life. I have done a study, one of my favorite studies for Debbie and I that has revolutionized our marriage has been a study by Emerson Egridge called Love and Respect. I can't recommend it more highly. In it over and over again, I have been challenged about how I treat, speak to, and even touch my wife. I'm called as her husband to unconditionally love Debbie. But the Bible also says, which means God says, that a woman should respect her father and a wife must unconditionally respect her husband. Now what that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean you support his sin. Don't hear me say that in this modern culture where we've seen too many rogue men. This is not a call for women to be doormats or to suffer in abuse, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional. But notice, ladies, there's a difference between counseling your husband and emasculating him. There's a difference between coming alongside him and offering a device and manipulating him. There's a difference between uh, disagreeing with him and pointing out other points of view or blackmailing him. When you do that, when you emasculate or manipulate or blackmail... Don't look now, but we're right back to Genesis chapter 3 and the curse. In the curse of sin, God told Eve that her desire will be for her husband. That's not a good word. Same used in the next chapter with Cain, when Cain murdered Abel, and the Bible says to Cain that sin has desired you to control you, manipulate you. And so God tells Eve, because of sin... That a woman's natural instinct sometimes will be to control or to manipulate. Meanwhile, he also says to the man, and you shall rule over your wife. And that rule is not a good word either. That's a part of the curse. This rule means to dominate. This rule means to intimidate. And I don't think I need to prove that case of men in the modern world, do I? 
It's been the same since the Garden of Eden. And yet, the gospel says, no, a woman doesn't need to desire her husband. A man doesn't need to rule his wife. But rather now, we can come together and love and respect each other. That's what a godly woman does. And you see this laid out in the book of Ruth. Now, this term, she does him good and not evil, is an amazing phrase. I love this phrase in Hebrew. The verb does him is of interest. It's not the common Hebrew word for do. It means to deal out, to deal fully, to deal bountifully. At times it approaches the meaning of to reward or to pay back. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 17, when David has just spared Saul's life, even though he easily could have prepared, killed him, Saul says this, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded you evil. Saul deserved evil, but David dealt him, dealt with him in a good way. Saul dished out evil to David, but David dished out good to Saul, who actually deserved evil. You see it again in Genesis chapter 50, when Joseph's guilty brothers remember what they had done to Joseph. And after Jacob dies, they're convinced, finally now Joseph is going to get even with them. And yet when they go to him, they plead with him and said, they make up this story and they said, when dad died, he said, you're not supposed to do anything bad to us. And yet Joseph says, no, I will only deal bountifully with you. This verb is also used of the Lord. In Psalm 13, verse 6, when it says the Lord deals bountifully with his servants. So a godly woman is devoted to her husband, devoted to her family, because she deals out to her husband that which is good. She disses out to him, serves him, that which is good and not evil. She wants only God's highest and best for him and for her family. And God is saying that a standard of godliness is how you are dedicated to your family. But secondly, a godly woman delights in her work. Look at Proverbs chapter 31, verse 13. She loves to do her work. And this reminds me of Ruth chapter 2. When Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. In other words, she was not lazy. She wasn't idle. She was entrepreneurial. She was businesslike. She was um, savvy. She had a, a sense about her. All of these things. If you read, if you listen and take the time of Proverbs 31, this was an amazing woman. She works willingly with her hands. And I say that because I think that phrase is easily missed. But listen, she works willingly with her hands. I think this is easy for most women, especially those of you that are working moms. You know the demands both inside and outside the home. One of the things that struck on me this morning as I was sitting and reading over this again and thinking about Debbie and my mom and my grandmother is just how willing they were, how willing they were to sacrifice. I tell you, you know the old hymn that says, count your many blessings, name them one by one? You know that old hymn? When was the last time you actually sat down and even started to make a list of all the ways your wife, your mom, your grandmother has served you willingly? All the ways. I mean, in the most obvious way, just consider just diaper changing alone. Yeah. Amen, right? I had a guy, 
actually, it was John Trope because uh, I finally got COVID. John was checking in on me. And I asked him how he was doing, and he said he lost his taste and smell. And he said, but it made it easier when I had to change Ella. And uh, I, I said, how about you? And I said, no, no, I, there was, the cold doesn't exist to make it easier for me to change a dirty diaper. Just the thoughts of it would get to me. And yet I have seen my children and my grandchildren have nuclear eruptions come out of their backside, and my wife not miss a beat. And I know it's not what she wanted to do, but she was willing to do it. And you know what? The older I get, the more I even quantify. Wouldn't it be neat if you could just quantify for every child how much your moms have endured just by wiping your rear end? Just that alone. Let alone all the the runny noses and the throwing up. Let's not even get into that, right? Right? All those things. But thirdly, a godly woman delights in her labor. She's not only willing with her hands, she delights in her labor. Look at verses 14 to 21 and verse 24 and 27. And look at Ruth in Ruth chapter 2. Ruth says, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came and she continued, watch this, from early morning until now except for a short rest. Over and over again, Proverbs 31 describes this noble, godly woman in terms of how she works to accomplish things. She's compared to a merchant, which means she's good at buying and selling. She rises while it's yet night. And in verse 18, she goes to bed late, put her family before herself. In verse 16, she's able to think ahead. She makes deals. She's entrepreneurial that will prove to provide for her family. And men and women, I want you to take note here. The godly woman is not just, she's not good at shopping. <laughs> All right? Some of you are like, oh, crap. <laughs> All right? It's, she's excellent at knowing what the house needs. That's not, she's really good at spending money. She really understands what her family needs. She doesn't fear the everyday circumstances of life. And notice she's wise. Look at verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. This is a busy, not lazy woman. Something spoken about many, many times in Proverbs. A godly woman, a godly mother is always busy, but it's willing. It's a willing busyness, not a begrudgingly. One of the greatest things my wife and mother ever gave me was the gift of being busy without ever making me feel like it was my fault. I love that about them. But notice, and this one might be the most controversial one, notice in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 36, a godly woman is dedicated to godly speech. A godly woman is dedicated to godly speech. And again, you look no further than Ruth for your example. In Ruth chapter 2, again, Ruth was a godly woman because of the way she spoke. It says, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your students, or sorry, servants. Now, ladies, I do want to ask you here this morning, how's your speech? Paul tells us over and over again to be careful with the way we talk. Solomon in Proverbs 10, 31 says, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. In Ephesians, we're told to have a godly mouth and to put away foolish talking and foolish gossip and foolish slander and foolish backbiting. Ladies, are you dedicated to godly speech? How do you talk about your husband? How do you talk about other ladies? How do you talk about your pastor? 
How do you talk about your parents? How do you talk about your kids? What tone do you use? Godliness is something in the New Testament that it talks about it a lot. And almost always, whenever you come across godliness in the New Testament, it will include some way you talk. And dare I go even further, in Proverbs 31, 22, and 25, a godly woman is dressed with care. Now I know I'm treading in places even angels fear to tread in this modern culture. But understand what the Bible is not saying. We, we often do this, and I see this in very patriarchal ways, and I see this when, when men try to do this, and we talk about modesty, that somehow we're talking that women are supposed to be prudish. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible celebrates a woman being fashion sense. Proverbs 31 does this. She dresses herself with scarlet. She's, she knows these things. What this means is, is your priority is not to draw attention to yourself. It's not to make multiple men want you. It's an idea that you have this inner sense of, I am a daughter of God. And I have somebody in my life who loves me. And I have daughters who I want to point in the right direction. And I have sons who I want them to do this. I used to do this game with my own daughter. We used to walk through the mall and I'd behold her hands. And she was in her early, early teens. And we'd walk and I'd say, yeah, you won't, you won't dress like that. And yeah, you won't dress like that. And yeah, you won't dress like that. And I remember one, at one point Abby said, Dad, what am I the heck going to be allowed to dress like I once told Abby, here's the difference, I think, of what the Bible says. The Bible is not here telling women what and what not to wear. The Bible is telling women that when you realize who you are in Christ, you don't have to wear a for sale sign to be desirable. You don't have to give into the culture's version of sex and sexuality. So do you see, ladies, that actually teaching is not so much a do's and don'ts about what to wear and not wear. It's about your heart and why do you wear what you wear. Which would lead to the next one, is a godly woman is discreet with men. A godly woman is discreet with men in verse 11 and 12 and 23. And I trust this doesn't need a lot of explaining, but a godly woman is not a flirt. She doesn't need the compliments and gazes of any man She wants to know that her husband loves her and desires her. She wants to know dad finds her beautiful. But notice the verses I chose have to do with the way you influence your husband as well as I found this great illustration because in Ruth chapter 3 verses 6 to 13 you get this wonderful illustration of Ruth influencing Boaz but yet she's discreet. There's a well-known proverb that says behind every great good man is a greater woman. A godly wife contributes greatly to the success and prosperity of her husband. A virtuous woman is the crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness to his bones. That's Proverbs 12.4. Where would this man be without his godly, industrious, loving, faithful wife? The value of a godly wife is illustrated in the life of no one further away than Daniel Webster, the guy where we get our dictionary. At age 31, he'd become known as America's most effective speaker. And one of his earlier biographers, Norman Hapgood, assigns much of this man's success to the quality of his marriage to a woman. Her name was Grace Fletcher, whom he married at the age of 26. Of her, the writer says, she had the goal of keeping alert to those highest principles to which her husband held. 
Her upright faith and sweet loyalty must have been one of those strongest barriers resisting the temptations which lay before this impressionable statesman. And unfortunately, Grace Fletcher Webster died. And a year later, Daniel remarried, this time to a woman by the name of Carolyn Roy. This is what the biographer said about her. She brought him money and social position and nothing else that could be traced in his life. Two years into their second marriage, it was said of Webster that he steadily declined from a height at which his altering nature could no longer sustain itself. Webster began overeating and overdrinking. His spending habits soared out of control and his moral life disintegrated. And by the end of his political life, the man once known for his great integrity had become typed as a political compromiser. Tragedy mounted upon tragedy. And when he died, he was a beaten, broken, and bitter man. There's the difference between a godly woman and someone that was just in it for the fun. Although a wife can be a tremendous influence or good for good or for ill, let me also say this though. Husbands, men, it is your responsibility for God to live rightly regardless of the spiritual or moral state of your spouse. If a man fails spiritually, it is first and foremost his fault. He must not blame anyone but himself. His wife might have been a negative influence, but he is responsible to follow God and not her. And you can think of the example of Job. When Job said to to her husband, curse God and die, in spite of her negative influence, Job remained faithful to the Lord and yet didn't blame his wife. So there we see the opposite where we see a godly man. So behind every good man is a great woman. That's not always true. But behind every man or woman is a greater God. And that's what we're called to. And then finally, a godly woman delivers blessings. You see that over and over again. But at the end of Proverbs 31, notice this. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Oh, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I love this. You can see this again in Ruth. When Ruth, when you come to the end of it, you'll notice that Ruth and Boaz are both known as a man and a woman that brought blessing to their families. They brought honor and integrity and stuff like that. And one guy I read about, Charles Bridges, said it best. He says, for what greater earthly happenings could she know than her children's reverence and her husband's blessings? We may picture to ourselves her condition crowned with years, her children grown up, perhaps themselves surrounded with families and endeavoring to train them as themselves had been trained. Their mother is constantly before their eyes. Her tender guidance, her wise counsels, her loving discipline, her holy example are vividly kept in remembrance. They cease not to call her blessed and to bless the Lord for her as an invaluable gift. And this is what you want. Dr. J. Campbell Morgan had four sons. They all became pastors. At a family reunion, a friend asked one of the sons, Which of all the Morgans is the greatest preacher? They all looked at each other and smiled and said, Mom. That's what they said. And so this is what I want you to realize. And so as you leave today as moms and as daughters and as women, I want you to realize lastly though, that a godly woman is dependent on God. It's not on yourself. You're not going to make yourself godly. You're not going to pick yourself up, clean yourself off. 
You don't have to worry about your past. You don't have to think it's too late for me to be a godly woman or I can never pull this off so I won't even try. No, because ultimately, who makes you godly? God. Wherever you are at life, no matter what your past, no matter what your present, no matter what your future, remember John and Bonnie on their journey as we are going to call them up here shortly. I've been here over seven years, and I remember the journey this couple has been on as they wondered about getting pregnant, as they wondered about various types of adoption, and I've seen the ups and downs that they all went through, and how often, John and Bonnie, have I said to you, when you guys have said to each other, how strong is God? How strong is God? How confident are you and I in the promises of God? See, that's the sign of godliness, whether it's finances or salvation of your spouse or your children, whether it's health or a career, do you practice a deep reliance on God? Because ultimately, a godly woman fears God. And so, let me say one last time, husbands, what are you doing to help your wife be this kind of woman? Are you washing your wife in the Word? Are you trying to live with your wife in understanding, as 1 Peter 3 tells you to do? God says to love your wife unconditionally, not in words, but in action, with an attitude, by protection, by example, by being willing to fear God above all else. And for all of you that are kids here, are you being honoring and respectful to your mother? You know, Proverbs is filled with warnings about the mistreatment of mom. This poem calls your mom a virtuous or excellent woman. Proverbs 6 says, Then forsake not your mother's teaching. Proverbs 10, a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Proverbs 15, but a foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs 28 warns against taking advantage of your mother. Whoever robs his father or mother and says there is no transgression is a companion to a man who destroys. So moms, I want you to know that the Bible tells your husband to love you. The Bible tells your children to honor you and respect you. And some of you might say, well, Pastor Steve, you don't know my wife, and you don't know my mom. She's not virtuous or excellent. She still doesn't give you, that still doesn't give you the right to be unforgiving or disrespectful. And that's the problem with our society. If you've been watching the pop culture of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, if you've been watching these various different devastations of marriages and families, the problem with our society is I'll do this if you do that. I'll obey God if he gives me a good mom. No, friends, all of this stuff is about fearing God, about trusting God, about faith in God. It's, is God strong enough? We give honor to Christ our Savior when we honor, respect, and love our wives and our moms. And I know that all ladies, not all ladies or wives or moms, are godly. But the godly part is something they work on with God. The obedience and honor part is totally your responsibility. So I call on every lady here and every gentleman here, make the decision on this Mother's Day to surrender your life to God, to fear God as the means of joy in your life, as the means to win an unsaved husband, as the means to allow God to work in the heart and life of an unloving husband as the means to allow God to bring spiritual vitality to your marriage and your parenting, as the means to allow God to save one of your children, as the means to allow God to change one of your children's hearts. That's the secret to being godly and virtuous and an excellent wife. See, a godly mom ultimately leads you to a deeper understanding of God. 
A godly mother is a mother who knows the Lord. A godly mother is a woman who will reflect God in her family. A godly mother is a mother who prays and loves unconditionally and cares more about her standing with God than with anyone else. And a godly mother loves God first, then her husband, then her children, not in the reverse order. Let me say that again. A godly mother loves God first, then her husband, then her children, not in the reverse order, because that is often what our culture says. But, as Scotty Smith said, ultimately we honor God, we trust in Christ, and we yield and are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, this allows us to live out our lives putting wisdom into practice, that's Proverbs 31. It means we are made new and are being made new into the image of Christ. And because of this, we can say things like, we love you and we will pray for you. And so, moms, dads, families, singles, grandmas, great-grandmas, widows, whoever you might be, go from here today and be godly in whatever calling God has called you to. Be a godly mother. Be a godly single person. Be a godly widower. Be a godly grandmother. Be a godly lady. Be a godly man. Be a godly father. Be a godly single guy. But I would say to be all of you as moms, be godly moms to the glory of God as an act of worship in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of His Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that my friends here, both here and online, on this very unique Mother's Day, more unique than many I can remember in the past, at least in the life of Calvary Baptist, Lord, the crowd is thin because of COVID, and yet because of technology, there are many people watching online, no doubt. And Lord, we are dealing with a time when our whole world and society is in uproar. Arguments about when is the beginning of life. How should we treat each other when we disagree? Lord, abortion is not just a single issue in the sense of how we as Christians believe and trust in you. But Lord, as Christians, we have to own the fact that sometimes we have harped on one issue while not living out many other issues. And Lord, one of them is the way we Treat and honor motherhood. Oh God, in a world that is so confused, where there are so many competing definitions for women, even to the point now where they're debating what is a woman. And then we argue over women's rights and bodies. And then we argue over what makes a child a child. But oh God, what everybody doing here can start today is trust you. Every woman can begin today and say, Lord, here's my life. As we sang, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Lord, every man here can pray for his mom, his wife, his daughter, his fiance, his girlfriend, his fellow sisters in Christ. Every woman here can pray for a mom, for a grandmother, for a friend sister in Christ. Lord, I pray that we will be found to be godly. 
Not because this church has some list of do's and don'ts and some list of rules and we all compare ourselves to each other, but ultimately, Lord, because we are amazed by your grace and your mercy and we are all works in progress and we all want to simply be more like you. So I pray for every mom in this room and at home. I pray for motherhood in our culture that you would, Lord, redeem it Not so we can be right, not so we can yell at the culture, but so that we can actually example and show the world how we can love properly and we can speak the truth to each other gently, patiently. And Lord, then we can rejoice with families and we can see ourselves set aside and dedicated to you. In Jesus' name, amen.